You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. All right, good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday, the 19th of October. Another very damp morning here in TW11, as it is across the country. And that has very much been the narrative as we build towards Kipco British Champions Day on Saturday. And as we have said all week, the one man or the the team for whom the weather matters the most going into this extraordinarily prestigious weekend uh, is the Gosden team. John and Thady, father and son training combination, Clarehaven Stables in Newmarket. A lot of their big guns are engaged on, on Saturday. Most of them want better ground. Some of them have alternative targets at the Breeders' Cup. And there is the possibility, as we heard from Chris Dickles a couple of days ago, of moving the meeting from the outer track to the inner track. That looks increasingly likely as rain continued to fall at the Berkshire venue yesterday. So welcome into the show, John Gosden, right up on declaration time on Thursday with Nashua, could go to the QE2, could go to the champion stakes in spiral, will she, won't she, Mostadaf, will he, won't he in the champion stakes. John, uh, talk me through your thought processes at the moment. Well, obviously, it's a week later, Ascot this year, which is a pity because last weekend the ground was pretty decent. They didn't get the rain we had here at Newmarket, strange to relate. But they've had a whole lot since, and uh, it's raining again now, and uh, they have plenty overnight. I walked the track. They're both you know, they're in good condition, but it was uh, it was good to soften the straight, soft, swindly bottom, and now with the rain overnight, it's soft all round, and swindly bottom, I assume, will be heading towards the H-word. But uh, we'll see. I think there's unfortunately more rain forecast, but... Uh, you know, it's late in the year and that happens. Okay, so all of your horses to a greater or lesser extent would want better ground. Who are you going to declare? I think the main one that will not declare at this stage is in spiral. Um, that is, you know, with the more rain coming, that's going to bride pretty, pretty loose and uh, pretty deep, even for the straight track with its drainage system that it has. It's, it's going to be asked to take rain all the way through until Saturday morning. So I think she she will be unlikely to be declared at this stage and could well be looking towards uh, Santa Anita. Um, Would you go up to a mile and a quarter at Santa Anita or or stay at a mile? No, a mile and a quarter. Okay, and what's the thinking there? That she'll have no trouble getting a mile and a quarter at uh, at Santa Anita. And the mile race, if you get a wide draw, you're... You're in trouble. You hit that bend too quickly, okay. so you're, you go all the way there to get a bad draw. It's, it's not a clever thing to do. Okay, so it's actually, it sounds like it's actually quite a straightforward decision for you with her. That you that wasn't race to go for if she goes. Yes. Yeah, and it sounds like a straightforward decision not to run her. Really, I mean, from from what you're saying, it doesn't sound like it's one you lost too much sleep over. No, I wore the track yesterday. Very much wanted to run her. She's in in, in, in superb form, but. Uh, you know, it's going to be a slog. Obviously, the favourite will handle that. He handled it it's, uh, very well in the Sussex Stakes when the ground was deep there. So it's it's wrong to run a filly on conditions that she's not going to like. Okay, is she holding on? Uh, how's she doing with her coat? It looks absolutely marvellous, okay. just like yours. <laughs> what about Nashua? How's she doing? She's fine. She's fine. She's she's in good order. She hasn't obviously she ran a great race in the Irish Champion, and she will. She will run in the mile now. She yeah. showed a lot of class in soft ground over a mile in, uh, at the July meeting. Uh, and she's had an amazing season, really. Uh, how impressed, stroke, surprised have you been by by the kind of 
relish that she's taken her races with. She's a great, great attitude. She really uh, very positive about everything she does. She doesn't get uh, things and go quite right. It's a good word for her. And she finished stronger than anything in the Irish champion. So to that extent, she's been remarkably consistent all year at the top level. And, and if Inspiral ended up being a fairly easy decision, and likewise Nashua, am I right in saying that whether or not to run Mostadaf has been a bigger, a bigger dilemma? Well, I discussed it at length, uh, obviously with Angus Golden, who was shaking his last uh, night, and we're going to leave him in the race uh, at this stage, and then we'll uh, Angus and I'll get our, our boots on and walk the track on, on Saturday morning. What's your What's your instinct at the moment? I'd like to see how much more rain they get and how it walks. Do you want to come round with me on Saturday? Need some good boots. Yeah, if you want. What time are you walking? I think good, good, good and early. I'd have thought it'd have to be a nine thirty. All right, eight thirty or ten o'clock, something like that. All right, it's a deal. Where are we meeting? Swinley or or, or at the grandstand? No, 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 start at the bottom, start at the top. Okay, okay. start at the top, walk back. We'll walk round. Cheers, John. All righty. Take it easy. Bye. 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 All right, that was John Gosden with the latest. I I thought a, a slightly subdued. John Gosden, probably feeling like everybody else at the moment, rather damp in spirits, in spiral out. Um, Mostadaf, they're going to wait on a decision on mm. Saturday morning, but the way the the way the forecast is, that has to be in some doubt as well, you would have thought. Uh, Nashua, she'll be fine going to the QE2. Uh, Rishi Persad is with me, was was listening to that. Uh, I'll, I'll certainly take John Gosden's mm. invitation up and go and walk the course with him on, on Saturday. It'd be quite interesting just to see how, how soft it's got. Let's hope we get to Saturday, Rishi. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty certain we'll film that as well, Nick. It'd be quite entertaining. Um, are you pretty good with going descriptions? Am I pretty good with going descriptions? Uh, well, I think when it gets yeah. as soft as it's likely to get, even on the inner track, I mean, if John Gosden's right and Swindley Bottom is heavy now and it's yeah. getting heavier, then they will switch to the inner track. So uh, it's a question of how soft it gets on the inner track, I suppose, for Mostada. Yeah, I'm. Just- just picking up on what you, you're saying about John Gosson and his his demeanour in that discussion, there is a, there is an element of we're doing this again. It's it's one of the greatest events potentially in racing, Champions Day at the end of the season. But once again, the weather, uh, the ground, which course, you know, it, it it detracts a little bit in the build up to the meeting <clears throat> that we're having to talk about those factors and not you know, the clash between the horses because we're still not certain which horses are going to line up for which race. And we're also not certain what course they're going to be running on, what the ground is going to be like. Um, and for, for me, I think that it's becoming a little bit boring uh, each year having to, to do this. Interesting target for Inspiral now. Not surprising she goes to the Breeders' Cup, but got Gosden, Gosden unequivocal that he goes up in distance for the mile and a quarter fillion mare turf and doesn't stay at a mile. What do you think of that? Yeah, I quite I quite like that idea actually. Um just watching the way she quickened up at Newmarket last time out and she sustained that burst uh over a mile and ran away from her field. Now I know it's it's not it wasn't that strong uh, a race. Um but she she blitzed her field. Yes, there was a group one winner in behind her, but she she was dominant. And I like the fact that she sustained it for such a long period of time to suggest that stepping up in trip might actually make her turn of foot even more potent. Um, And there's always been a school of thought that she could get 10 furlongs um, and we're better to try it than at the Breeders' Cup. And uh, I I think she'd have a great chance. Okay, And what about Mostadaf? 
on on Saturday. That that doesn't look that hopeful, does it? Uh, he obviously they're obviously desperate to run. And there's another bit of I hadn't quite realized this until it was pointed out to me earlier today. There's another angle in terms of championships. We talked quite a bit about the Gosden O'Brien battle for the trainers' championship. We've not talked all that much about the owners' championship, and Shadwell are in front there as well. Yeah, and I can imagine it's one of the driving factors um, to to try and get Mostadaf out on course in the champion stakes on Saturday. Um, but the reality is, all all that we know about Mostadaf is that he has excelled uh, at ten furlongs on very fast ground. We're not going to get that on Saturday, um, and it's possible that Mostadaf would. Um, if he were mine, I wouldn't run him on those conditions. When you know for a fact how good he is, you know, when you consider Saudi and Ascot and, and York, uh, I, I, I would skip Ascot with him and, and head elsewhere. But one of the, the the overriding factors, I think you're right, Nick, to point that out, would be the opportunity to to try and seal the owners' championship for uh, Sheikh Hissa and the the Shadwell team. But I, I don't think that would probably. I don't think it will happen. I don't think he'll get his conditions. And I think maybe a shot at the Breeders' Cup would, wouldn't go and miss with Mostadaf. Yeah, and he, he won't be going. To, uh, I, I've, tried, I've tried to lead Angus and John Gosden down the Breeders' Cup Classic path this season. Um, nah. But that, that's not going <laughs> to happen, is it? It might happen with King of Steel, though. Did you hear Kia the other day? He's well up for it. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not a surprise that he's he's thinking big. Um, again, I'm not entirely certain that that would suit him, but um, I quite like this is the beauty of this time of the year. There are lots of options to talk about where the horses are going to go and run internationally. Uh, it's one of the best best things about the end of the season and, and who might turn up where. It'd be great were him were, were we to see him try uh, uh, something different from from what he's done this season. Obviously, Saturday still to get out of the way. A little bit of news coming in now, Rishi. Um, obviously, Inspiral doesn't run. Uh, getting confirmation that Frankie Dettori is going to ride Chaldean. Frankie Dettori has replaced Asheen Murphy on his 2000 Guineas winner Chaldean for Andrew Balding, according to Judmont. Which is fair enough. Yeah, which is fair enough. You know, Asheen Murphy's only ridden Chaldean once. Um, Frankie has ridden him uh, to win the, the Guineas and the, and the Dewhurst, etc. So it makes sense. <clears throat> um, one last swing for Frankie in the QE2. Mm, not sure that he's going to be good enough to win it he's got a bit of ground to make up even with Paddington for a start well obviously with the the amount of uncertainty surrounding which track we're running on at Ascot what the ground's going to be how does this impact what is now the all-important world pool um group chief executive for the tote uh Alex Frost is is with me now uh Alex this is this is the sort of thing that you know Hong Kong punters don't really want isn't it in in all honesty that that degree of uncertainty right to the 11th hour yeah, I mean, Hong Kong, interestingly, they, they call their racing the, the analysis of their racing the six and a half hour puzzle. You know, it is the definition of a game of skill out <laughs> right there. So, well, they're, they're not going to, they might not have six and a half hours this time. Well, <laughs> it's starting to look like the three hour puzzle, but yeah, no, it is. Look, it's, it's not ideal for anybody, but we totally appreciate these things are extremely complicated and everyone's doing their best to make sure the racing is on. I mean, in an ideal world, if you're looking at, at the at the global picture, would you prefer a situation where you know data for for race cards was 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 that little bit more in advance than it is at the moment? So, for example, 
you know the the derby for example you can you can still leave a jockey off a horse until you know one o'clock the previous afternoon uh in this instance we might be changing tracks you know four hours before racing or, or whatever yeah no i mean the, the data is much much it's more of a thing if you like with international punters than perhaps it is over here though we have tons of customers over here who you know go into all manner of analytics i mean people are taking 150 factors into some of these models so yeah the more certainty they have the more clarity they have the more volume we see and the better it is for racing so do you push for that then when you when you get into these uh, executive meetings and manage to get into the corridors of power do you do you push for that round boardroom tables do you say look if you want international punters to bet on on this you've got to do better well, I think you need to look at their own racing. They're full of sectional timings. Their stride patterns are a big thing. You know, it, it's it's data that people around the world are very, very used to. And, and you know, just as football's done, we should make data, you know, a, a driving force to bring in new customers, particularly the next generation. Uh, how do you think the sport's doing? I th- look, we, we can improve a hell of a lot, can't we? Um, you know, the, the data we have in front of customers at the moment, you know, we, we think, you know, there's, there's definite scope for improvement if even if we're just matching the international partners but there's also tons of other um factors and data points we can add in it you know it only brings in a wider audience gonna be more whirlpool days next year um <clears throat> some really encouraging talks going on i think certainly a decent number next year um we're talking probably about a 20 percent increase maybe in terms of races um, but we'll find that out. That's very much in the hands of the Hong Kong Jock Club. But but the, the year after that, I think we can expect you know really significant increases. So yeah, no, very exciting times ahead. And there, there's quite a, been quite a significant call for you know more. Uh, I'll use the T word again. More transparency as to where the money's coming from, where it's going, how much the racecourses are getting, and how they're deploying it. Is that a reasonable request? I think it is, but I think equally, you've seen the prize money increases. Um, you know, they are seismic now, so that we should be very, very assured that, that pure economics wins the day um, and competitive economics wins the day, I should say, in terms of, you know, just having enjoyed York um, and, you know, the minimum prize there of 100 grand. Um, I think that's, you know, horses rated in the 70s running for £100,000. I don't think there's anywhere else in the world that has that. So, you know, there's a lot to be excited about and, and commended for. And last time we had a conversation on the podcast about amounts going back to British racecourses, you were you were sort of playing with the with the seven hundred and fifty thousand a fixture number as sort of averaging it it out. Is that is it more than that now? No, we've had a, a, a sort of consolidating year. Really, the Hong Kong flow hasn't increased year on year. Um, there are plenty of other countries that can come in now. You know, there's a it's a very proven concept. Um, we've also seen a good start to the Hong Kong season. Um, out there in terms of volume so yeah that, those sort of numbers you know they are big big numbers but I think you know suffice so there's plenty more to go for uh, Rishi what do you make of Alex Frost's comments there do we need to just be sharper on our decision making get the details of races abroad quicker more data 100% um, I, I I still think now the idea that we're going to make a decision or Ascot are going to make a decision on Saturday morning. Well, I think, as to which I, mean, course... I think if it if it if it pisses down today and tonight, I think Chris Dickel said he could make the decision on Friday. Well, great, but I I also think that the decision should have been made at declaration time or prior to declaration time today, Thursday. 
you're declaring horses with a, a, a fair amount of uncertainty right now. You're asking punters to look at races with a fair amount of uncertainty right now. You can remove some of the uncertainty, not all of it. You cannot predict the weather. That's a, an eternal problem. But what you can remove are the things which are in your control. If you make a decision now to say you're declaring these horses on uh, on ground that's now described as good, good to firm in places on the inner course, and this is the weather forecast for the next 48 hours, I think that's fair. I don't I don't understand why there's a there's a need to wait for such a long time or wait till Friday night or wait till Saturday morning to declare. I would like someone to explain why that is the case. Why do you have to wait that long to make that decision? If there is a, a cogent reason for that, fine. But at the moment, I don't see it. It's because I think I think it's because talking to Chris earlier in the week and talking to one or two others from from Ascot and Champions Day, it's because they still feel that the the outer track is the optimal track, and that that should be used unless the ground is heavy on it, and then they have to play the weather forecast. But I think the weather forecast this week has given them enough certainty, really. And I think certainly yesterday when it really started to, you know, shove it down, and as Gosden was saying there, you know, if you any a, a drip more on Swinley Bottom and it's heavy. I think I think there's probably enough evidence to have called it before Dex this time. I'd be uh, mm. I'd be in agreement. Maybe that'll but be something it, for next year. But as you said, yeah, as you said, it, your first it, comment, your first comment was the most prescient one, as it always is. Here we are again. Correct. Well, there have been a few decisions to make in the lead up to, to Champions Day, a sodden Champions Day as to which horse to run where. Uh, George Bowie and his owner Steve Hillen and their team had a decision to make as regards Via Sistina whether to go mile and a half fillies and mares or whether to go for broke and run her in the champion stakes itself. Uh, they've opted for the latter. They've gone big, um, but hopefully they're not going to go home. George Bowie, what was the thinking behind your decision? Hi, Nick. Um, look, she's, she's a filly who we haven't run over a mile and a half. Certainly I haven't. And um, I think it's sort of probably our optimum trip and look, it's going to be a smaller field and, and probably less hard luck stories. And we think, you know, if the if the rain comes on top of what we've already had, we assume it's going to go to the inner track. We assume there's still going to be a bucket load more rain Friday, and it's going to be pretty testing. Is there a limit to how soft she wants it? I, d I actually don't think so. Um, Guinea's weekend in Newmarket, it was biblical. Um, very, very soft ground, and, you know, she seems to handle it. I think it's probably forgotten by a few that it was the arguably the fastest lady good when she won the pretty poly um so she you know she's very versatile but i think if i could choose i would certainly be choosing um choosing this ground because it might hinder others she, she's maintained a level of form since since winning at, at the curra when, when you look at her runs in the falmouth and then at deauville behind marquise de sevigny who's a very good mayor what, what do you think how do you reflect on those performances uh, look, she, I, I probably backed her up too quickly at, at um, Newmarket in hindsight over a trip that was too short, but we had a lot of rain. Um, it, it's officially good ground, but it was certainly softer than that. Um, she ran £10 below her form probably and then stepped up massively sort of in Deauville. Um, arguably should have won. Um, I think, you know, we might have hit the front a little bit too soon and she got lonely. She's, you know, that for me was the big thing to not go 12 farthings. You know, she's, 
she's got plenty of pace. And when you look at the the opposition in the in the champion stakes, you look at a a French horse who's on the up, Horizon Doré, but hasn't really got proven form in in deep ground. The, the reigning champ Bay Bridge and a King of Steel. Who do you fear the most? I think King of Steel is the one to beat for me at the moment. Um, I think he's going to handle the ground. Obviously, Bay Bridge was a winner on it last year, and. Um, I want to see the French horse go and do it on very soft ground. Um, most of his form this year has been, I know it's advertised as good to soft in France, but the only time he actually ran on heavy ground was back in May when he got beaten by big rocks. So um, he's likely to sit off the pace and, and be ridden for a turn of foot. So, um, yeah, I think Kia's King of Steel is probably, probably the one that I'd, if I could swap, I don't think I would swap, but if I could, that would be the one that I'd take. And if there's ever been a conversion of sales price to, to prize money, uh, this this could be one of the greats of all time. Um, Steve Hill and the owner of, uh, of Via Cecina with his wife Becky bought bought him bought her famously for five thousand guineas from the Tassels December yearling sales. Uh, what was it now? Four years ago, and here you are competing for a sort of seven hundred and fifty grand first prize in a you know one point two million pound added race. Yeah, it's a um, pretty amazing story. I think I think Steve and Becky probably openly admit that it's their their biggest masterstroke so far. And um, no, she's a she's a filly who's always going to take a bit of time. And that kind of in this current market, people aren't looking for those because it's an expensive game to get to how far you need to get to. So look, Steve's got amazing vision in these type of horses, and we've got a couple more in the yard bred on the same cross. Um, so hopefully, one of them can can be half as good as her but uh, we had Oscula last year who sold it was four grand into a million and, and Via looks like she might be following suit because she's off to the Scepter sessions as well isn't she at Tats yeah she is um, Via Sistine and Cache will be the two of ours there and um, look, they go there in great condition and, and you know it'll be a proud moment with two two group one winners going to the Mesa it's not just uh, Via Sistina that you're running at, at Ascot on, on Saturday. You've got Believing as well in the cachet colours of, of High Clear. You believed in Believing before the Sprint Cup at Haydock and you were very, very nearly justified, ran an incredible race in third. What are you anticipating at the weekend, six furlong soft ground? I think the ground is the one possible question mark. You know, if it was soft ground, I'd be very confident that she'd give her absolute running. The, if it is heavy... Um, that you know, it's a complete unknown. She might handle it even better than I think, but um, she's very versatile. She's in great form, and you know, it's quite a for a syndicate to stump up twenty thousand quid. It's to to supplement in Haydock. You had to be pretty confident. And although she was sixty six to one, I was pretty bullish. She'd run as well as she did, and um, drawn away from the pace. Well, what ended up being the pace. I think if she's in the mix on Saturday, you know, draw nicely, then then I think we'll see her very competitive. And just reflecting on your season, I, w- I was just joking with you, George, that if if you happen to win with Via Sestina, you'd you'd be right on the fringe of the of the top ten trainers. You're currently sort of sitting in sixteenth, seventeenth. It, it looks to have been a pretty productive season, prize money wise. At any rate, are you are you fairly happy with the way things have gone? Yeah, it's been good. I think. Um, you know, obviously, numerically, we had more winners last year, but I'm pretty sure we've had more stakes winners this year. We had a good start in Dubai, and you know, prize money wise, we've certainly won more than last year if you if you take in the sort of global earnings as well. So, you know, winning a Group One in Ireland 
four four stakes races in France and, and three in Dubai. So look, it's just trying to upgrade the quality and um, it's not as easy to win as many races with a higher level of hawk. So no, look, very happy and um, hopefully we can pick up a bit of the prize on um, on Saturday. All right, that was George Bowie. This is Rishi Passad. Right decision to go for the champion stakes shot to nothing, isn't it? I think so. Um, I also think that the fact is one or two horses like Mostadaf, who we've already discussed, may not turn up for the champion stakes and he would obviously be a, a big loss to the race. Um, and I think there might be an opportunity for her. Obviously, in the in the mile, she would have a very good chance as well. But I, I, I do think in the champion stakes, she could definitely have a chance of getting in the placings, you know, particularly considering how much she enjoys deep ground at the end of the season. So uh, I think it makes perfect sense. All right. Well, as I said, Frankie Dettori picks up the ride on Chaldean. So his book of rides at the moment looks like Trawler Man in the Long Distance Cup, Chaldean in the QE2. Uh, he'll be aboard um, King of Steel, of course, in the Champion Stakes. You heard about him from Keir Jirabchin earlier in the week. And he'll also be riding Kin Ross, his old favourite in the sprint, who runs in the colours of Mark Chan. Uh, Mark has Angel Bleu, the mount of Hector Crouch, in the QE2. And I've been speaking to uh, to Jamie McCalmont, his racing manager, about both horses, uh, starting with Kin Ross. We'll just take uh, one step at a time. Uh, Sunday's very exciting. Mark and his wife, Lily, uh, are landing today in, in England. Um, so for them to be here uh is you know fantastic for everyone um you know uh i would say the weather has been very good to us for once this year and both horses are gonna love the conditions um you know hector gave uh angel blur an amazing uh ride last time so it's kind of nice that he's kept the mount if you know what i mean and um you know the horse has been an amazing you know we've gone on an amazing road with uh, Angel Blur, I mean, to run on a Saturday at Ascot and then come back and win a Goodwood on a Tuesday, I don't see many two year I, I couldn't name too many two-year-olds in my lifetime that have uh, managed to achieve that. So we're very excited about him standing in Nulon Bizikos Farm in France. Um, we always wanted him to go to France. Um, that's, you know, where he was born. That's where he won his two Group 1 races. And, you know, French breeding seems to be you know, going in a really good d direction last uh, right now. You know, their sales are all up. They've had some amazing results on the track. You know, the art winner Paddington. So yeah, all all very positive. All yeah, we go to Ascot in a very in a very upbeat mood. Anyway. All right. So uh, Kin Ross, let's let's deal with him in in a bit more depth because he is a, the star of the show. He's taken you to to every show and he's delivered pretty much every single time. If you're going to do these three races in quick succession, it's going to it's going to take an impressive, uh, seamless performance at least in in the first leg, isn't it? Yes, I think uh, you know we don't we yeah we want to take one step at a time with this horse. You know he is six years old now, so you know making too many plans. It's just basically one race at a time. But it's a bit like uh, his his rider's career. You know. It, it could be it could be three weeks it could be three years with him you, you know so to start saying i'm gonna we're gonna be here we're gonna be in california in november and we're gonna be in hong kong in december i kind of you know when you start sort of making statements about those things it kind of i, I don't know it kind of i think it can jinx you sometimes so we we we, we want to enjoy saturday 
and then Sunday we'll start making plans of where we go next. But obviously, given given Mark's ownership of the horse, Hong Kong is a is a key priority. Well, yes, I think so. I mean, it would. Uh, I think uh, the race in California will be easier. Uh, I mean, you've got to run against Golden Sixty and California Spangled there, and that that the, you know those two horses are right up there with any other miler in the world. I mean. Golden 60 is probably as good as probably the best miler in the world right now. So you're certainly not going for an easier race if we go to Hong Kong and don't go to California, that's for sure. But one that would mean an awful lot to the owner, clearly. Now, it would mean an awful lot to you to be any kind of part of this um, Dottori uh, shebang on on Saturday. Uh, You guys go back a long way. We've discussed it before. What did you make of his... uh, of his announcement last week that he was he was not just going to go and do a little a little store a stint in California like he did last year, but to actually pack his bags, move there, live in Pasadena, and ride as an American jockey effectively for a bit. Uh, I think it's probably uh, a, a dream come true for Frankie. I mean, you know, we met in nineteen eighty eight there on the backside of, of in California, even though he'd been working for two years opposite where I lived in Newmarket, which is. He always kind of jokes about that and you know he as we've seen on programs recently that's where he developed his style and you know he's going he's going back to his roots i think it's a great uh, all round i think it's good for him more than anyone else that he's continuing to ride because you know he needs to be he, he needs to be active and he's still healthy just like kinross he's still healthy and active so while while he's healthy and active you know, like you said one in an interview this week, you know, I'm going to get up one day and say that's enough and, and quit. I think that's really good news for him more than anything. Jamie McCallum, their racing manager, to Mark Chan, who will be attending and who has been a, a very staunch supporter of Frank Dettori, particularly in the, in the last 18 months or so. Kin Ross, their representative in the Kipco Sprint and Angel Blur in the QE2, which we need to give a bit more love to. We know Inspiral is not going to run, Rishi, but we know Paddington is. Tahira, Dermot, well, doesn't want it heavy, but he does definitely want to run, um, and it's a it's a pretty good field. Is it is it simple for you? Is it is it Paddington's race to lose? Um, yes. Uh, primarily, we haven't seen Paddington for a while. He had. If we look at Paddington's career this season, just... Uh, as neutral observers, you'll say he's had a hard campaign, uh, which is pretty obvious. Uh, and then he's had a, a quite a break on the back of a defeat where, in fairness, Mostadaf and Nashua were comfortably holding him at the end. Um, and it wasn't the Paddington, quite the Paddington that we'd seen earlier in the season. Um, he only beat Factor Cheval by a length and a half at Goodwood as well. Um, I know that, you know, a couple of the other wins were also narrow. The Emily Upjohn win at Sandown, for example. But... I think there's enough to take him on with. And I, I really like Big Rock. Um, I'm hoping that he's able to to get to the front. The only worry I have about Big Rock is being taken on for the lead by, say, a Chaldean or maybe even triple time if he if he's too keen and goes on the front end or if um, you know something else decides to take off. But if he can get a, a comfortable enough lead or he even settles in front, I think he can be a big player. I mean, he beat Horizon Door um, comfortably. When he uh, when they raced against each other in 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 France earlier in the season, I think back in May, he beat him pretty convincingly. He's come up against a few decent uh, opposition in, in the last few weeks. Obviously, um, Ace Impact in the in the French Derby and in Spiral. Um, and I just I just think that in this sort of deep ground, which when he beat Horizon Door it was heavy ground, 
deep ground out in front and hopefully get on a on a roll and maybe stretch them a little bit. Um, he gets a bit further. So I, I thought he might be a, a play in the race. Well, here and elsewhere down the years, we've uh, chronicled the story and recovery of Brian Toomey. Brian, who came as close to death as it's possible to do in a horrible fall at Perth a decade ago and has spent much of, of the last 10 years dreaming uh, of getting a trainer's license. And it's been a, a road that has been challenging uh, and and at times uh, looking as though it, it's a, an ambition that would, would never never reach realisation. Well, it has because he's been granted a license by the BHA to train at Bostridge Farm in Chalfon St Giles in, in Buckinghamshire. And he's joining me now uh, on a horse, penultimate morning riding out at Clive Cox's. Clive's been a great ally for, for you, Brian. Um, thrilled to read this news. Just tell me all how it came together in the end. Yeah, uh, hi Nick, how are you doing? Um, it obviously, it was, a, it was a goal of mine that I had for many years. And um, I had looked at a few yards down through the years and... Um, and then when, when Martin announced his retirement, I got in touch with him and uh, he said to pop down and see the yard and I was totally blown away by it. It's a beautiful yard, uh, very picturesque um, with all the, all the right facilities and I thought it would, be, um, it would be a perfect place to make a dream a reality really. And I'm not wrong in saying that, you know, this, this hasn't been without its challenges, not just the fact that you, know, you had such a serious injury and the actual physical recovery from it, but the business of getting all, the, all your ducks in a row, getting a license, persuading people that you could actually do this has not been straightforward, has it? No, it hasn't. It's been it's been a very slow process, and um, and obviously the the, the the funds behind it. I like I, I come from I don't I come from pretty humble beginnings. Um, I brought up away from racing, brought up on a farm. So it's a uh, it's um, and then I was you obviously be assistant trainer, and I, I was assistant trainer for Dr. Richard Newland, and yeah, you know, I've, I've I've learned off I've learned off some great people, Nick. And if I can put all that into play now, I think it's uh, it's been a long time coming. And would would you say now that you feel as good as you have felt in the period since your since your accident? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Listen, I'm 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 the luckiest man alive, Nick. To be honest, I uh, I as you said earlier, I, I came very very close, and um, I um, I count my, count my blessings every day. But like it's uh, yeah, listen, a recovery from such a serious injury is a very slow process. Um, but as time goes on, I always had. I always had a goal to chase, whether that was getting back riding or whether this was, or whether it was to start training. Um, I've always had a goal. Yeah. To what extent has that helped you? Oh, it's been massive to me, Nick. It's uh, it's um, it's 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 kept me motivated. It's kept me, it's kept me, my enthusiasm going. Um, and as I said it's it's something I've always I've always been committed to. Like, good luck to Brian Toomey a man on the move to new premises and a new career. The same can be said of Postponed, the King George and John Martin International winner, who is moving from Darley's premises at Dalham Hall to a new base the other side of the Welsh border in Welshpool at Yorton Farm, which has been home to some uh, blue-chip national hunt stallions down the years, the uh, Grand National and Champion Hurdle winning sire Suleimani, and of course Blue Brazil, the potential champion sire of Constitution Hill. Is Postponed uh, the next in a production line of Super Size from the Welsh establishment. The man to answer that question is David Futter. Morning, Dave. Well, morning, Nick. Yes, um, we'd like to think so. I mean, you're never 100% sure, but he certainly uh, he certainly has got the profile that we would look for um, in a national hunt sire. 
what what makes a good jump sire for you? What what are you looking for? One of the things I personally look for is do they have a have a confirmation he got the angles and the movement that becomes natural that they can jump a fence, and that's a big part of what we look for. And he is he's, he's a nice big tall horse. He's nearly sixteen two, good sloping shoulder, good hind good hind leg. Everything we look for in a in a horse. And I, I think he's already proven that he can get jumpers. Um, uh, with with a few stock he's gone, but he's he was a great racehorse. He's got a tremendous mind. He had the ability in his um, to be competitive, be and to be generous and keep giving. To he raced to his six, still performing. So, and and the great thing, he's still got a lot. His oldest stock twenty four. He's still got lots, so many runners to come and run run for him. It, you know, it, it's a fantastic position, and we're very grateful to Darley and all the team for letting us have him. I mean, I'm interested in that. So it's a very specific type of athleticism you're looking for. As you say, any of us can look at a page and look at a pedigree and go, yeah, he's a Group 1 winner by Dubawi from one of Sheikh Mohammed Abade's great families. But what we can't necessarily see is a kind of the sort of elasticity you're looking for, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, I'm quite a simple kind of guy. I, when I used to buy Cobbs and 14-2 show jumping ponies and whether to buy an event or show jumping... We used to always look to the same angles, and why is that horse naturally jumping the show jump or the cross country better than the other horse? And it all comes down to certain angles and certain confirmation and movement, um, and where they carry their head and the balance is is a far, far, far bigger part of um, national hunt stallions than it ever will be on the flat. And it's why a lot of the horses is that jump fences in National Hunt and in France go on to be very successful successful stallions for National Hunt this is obviously yeah. uh, and is that is that what you saw are those qualities for example what you saw in, in Blue Brazil who would be your most celebrated you know, graduate of, of your and you took him you've made him famous you you conceived Constitution Hill on your farm and then and then you sold him for a lot of money to Ireland we we'd look for the same angles when we're buying our brood mares when we're buying our stallions whatever we purchase for jumping we look for the same type of model, and I can guarantee you, postponed. I'm not saying they're all going to be the first, but I can guarantee you, cross with the jumping mares, they'll all jump. They'll be natural jumpers, and and if a horse for jumping, for national hunt, if he's he's hitting the fences, he's breathing properly, using great rhythm. This horse had a great aptitude. Luke Kamani said he never left a left an oat. He got up every day. He wanted to do his work. He breathed well. He settled, and if he moved well, they'll all jump easy. And I know, you know, pedigree is is perhaps secondary to confirmation, but he does have a lovely pedigree by Dubawi, out of that Dubai destination mare, Ever Rig, as I said, and a complete outcross for Saddler's Wells mares. There is no there is no Saddler's Wells in, in his pedigree at all. No, no. I mean, he's he's got... Finding a horse with those angles, then finding a horse with his pedigree is quite unbelievable. I mean, Dubawi... They're known for genuine horses with good minds, but but try hard, which you need in in a jumping stallion. So, look, we've got to go out and prove it, like all these stallions, but I'm as excited at buying him as I've been uh, to purchase any horse. You know, and and it's great to have James Gene Potter Limited. They've come in with us again, trusted our judgment, and um, hopefully between the two farms and the British breeders, it's great to secure him for the British breeders, and hopefully they'll get behind and support him. Dave, best of luck with him. All right. Cheers, Nick. You take care. 
Well, a lot of you might be familiar with the name Connor Wickstead. Connor, uh, best known as the senior bloodstock executive at, at Goffs, who's focused on bringing the customer experience to the fore. And he's always on hand to talk to vendors and clients with their queries at the sales. He's also a pin hooker himself. And most importantly, for the purposes of today, is the chair of the Irish Thoroughbred Breeders Association Next Generation, the sector of the organisation dedicated to younger members, which has assembled a powerful panel for its pin hooking seminar which takes place at Goffs in a fortnight on Monday, October the 30th. Uh, Connor, really good to talk to you today. Just tell me a little bit about why you, first of all, felt the need for a, a pin-hooking seminar uh, this uh, this fall. Good morning, Nick, and thank you. Uh, I suppose just for some background, the ICBA is the official representative body of the Irish thoroughbred breeding uh, industry at government level both at home and and the ITBA aims to work with uh, and for the good of all Irish breeders to ensure Ireland uh, continues to be one of the most renowned and successful breeders breeding industries in the world. Um, our events and activities are based around education, providing networking and opportunities. And we do this through seminars, panel discussions and industry tours. And we felt an event like this, um, I suppose, offers our members and followers the opportunity to learn from industry leaders, but it also provides a space for peer-to-peer learning. And we feel these events can act as a catalyst for attracting people into the industry. So I suppose that's the main reason. Um, We had an event like this last year, um, and on the back of the success of it, um, we wanted to build on that and we were delighted to have put together such a wonderful panel, each with different backgrounds and stories. And I suppose we are very grateful to each of them for giving up their time to come and talk to us. And I suppose it it struck me that we talk quite a bit about trying to get younger owners into the sport. Do you think it's easier to sell younger people coming into the into the, into the sport the dream of a, a return, the dream of a, of an investment? Yeah, I suppose we're trying to provide them um, with education on where it all starts from breeding right through to pin hooking to getting to the race course. Um, and I suppose the idea is that by having such speakers, um, they can tell their story as to how they got started um, and I suppose carved out their path. And I suppose it gives uh, others and next generation members an idea as to how they can get started because I suppose we don't all maybe have the funds to get into ownership and there are op- opportunities and options for syndicates. Um, so, so again, I suppose it's an opportunity for these people to tell their story um, and maybe give people a chance um, to, to, to have different perspectives on it. Okay, and you've got a you've got an all star panel, as I said. I mean, I don't need to give Jane Mangan any more exposure, but there you go. She's hosting it. Uh, who else have you got lined up? So we have Alice Kavner of AK Thoroughbreds. Um, Alice comes from a family who are known for breeding, um, producing, and prepping high class horses. Um, some of which include the likes of Baca Bacchiata, G Force, Mister Medici, and recent Group One winner C Silk Road as well as pre-Morney and Middle Park stakes winner, Bandique. Last year, Alice's Gals Gals Syndicate 
turned a nice profit when their Havana Gris, now called Havana Cigar, made 150000 having cost 21 as a full. He's now a dual winner and is several times black type in France. We have Paul McCartan of Bally Phillips Stud in County Limerick. Paul and his wife Marie are widely known successful breeders and pin hookers. Um, horses that they have bred or pin hooked in more recent times include Batash, the Antarctic, Harry Angel, Tiggy Wiggy, Nando Parado, Extension, and so many more. We also have Philip Stoffenberg, um, based in Germany. Um, Philip and his wife Marion are not only known for their huge success in the sales ring, but also on the track. Some of their success stories include German champion three-year-old Lucky Speed, champion two-year-old Wonderful Moon, Lady Marion, and more recently, they are responsible for breeding German Derby winner Fantastic Moon. They've also had the likes of Ross Carberry through their hands. And we also have Tom O'Brien, veterinary surgeon, at Sycamore Equine Hospital. Um, Tom is known for his specialty in equine surgery. Um, He has years of experience and was responsible for managing the recovery of St. Nicholas's Abbey. So that will just give you some background on each of our panellists. Connor, I wish you all the best with it. Thanks so much for for sharing the details of it. Uh, 30th of October, and people can just roll up uh, on the night or do they need to buy tickets in advance? Thank you, Nick. Um, the, the event is free and uh, it's open to all, uh, but registration is essential and that can be done on the ITBA website and our Instagram and Twitter pages. You'll find the link. All right. Thanks to Connor. Good luck to him. And thanks to all my guests today on a busy day. Here's Rishi with a tip for you. I like a horse called Roman Tempest, Nick, who's running at Brighton today over a mile and a quarter. He's a maiden, yes, but he has run very well with Dig in the Ground at uh, Lingfield um, a few starts back. And he's double figure price today in this um, in the 320 a mile and a quarter handicap. I think he'll run very well. All right, Rishi, thanks so much. Thank you very much for your company. Uh, That was Thursday, October the 19th, full of Champions Day news. We'll be back tomorrow, Friday, October the 20th, and hopefully some of it's a little bit better. See you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.